And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Hello and welcome to Commentary Monthly Monday. I'm Chris Honeywell and I'm here with Scott Gardner, my bestest buddy. <laughs> They're not going to have any idea what we're snickering about, but I know. <laughs> I know. I just, I just had to start this intro like eight times because I'm a moron. <laughs> Calling it Comics Monthly Monday and Cartoon Monthly Monday and uh, Carbohydrate Monthly Monday. Ooh, that's a good one. Oh man, and we're here again. To oh, you know what? Over another movie. <laughs> we uh, we agreed to try to be family friendly in this one because I can't mention the exact title. But did you see we had a great idea for a particular monthly Monday that uh, that our listeners want us to do? No, I haven't seen that yet. Okay, well, it... well, we'll have to discuss it off the air because <laughs> it's not a family friendly subject. But I'm I'm totally uh, down for that or up for that as the case. Ooh, may. I'm not even going to speculate on this <laughs> rated G. Actually, I don't think this is a rated G movie. It's probably no, PG. It's got a little swear in it. it. It does. Yeah, that's one of the things I like about it. Is it has? Uh, have we said what the movie is yet? No, we haven't. It has some real edge to it, and that's one of the things I like about it because it's it's not going out of its way to be uh, kitty, kitty, yeah. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, great movie for kids. Oh <laughs> man, I'm telling you. Well, it's funny because I was looking at all kinds of different uh, information on this movie today, and somewhere or other, I, I forget who it was that actually dubbed it such. But it's funny, I read it and I was like, huh, that's funny, that's exactly the way I always describe this movie. It's, it's been described by somebody or other as the best non-Disney animated movie out there. And that's kind of Ooh. the way I always looked at it, too, because a lot of people think this is a Disney movie. And, of course, the director has gone on to success with Disney. He now, you know, by his associations with Pixar, and then there's a movie project that he's working on right now for Disney that I'm really excited about that we'll talk about in a few minutes. But uh, I, I think people just assume that this is a Disney, and no, it's not. It has no no uh, connect, you know, direct connections to Disney whatsoever, but there's a lot of it that sure plays like a Disney, but then it has that extra layer of, of added edge that I think kind of in a funny kind of way, it kind of owes back to like the earliest Disney's because, you know, you look at some of the very early Disney's when Walt had an active hand in some of those movies, and they weren't necessarily you know kiddified. They they had no. some real edge to them. You know the way the how many you know, generations of people is Bambi traumatized? Well, you know, there's there's you know that scene which is kind of mirrored in this movie, but. You know, you look at, uh, you know, the way that villains were offed in a lot of those early Disney, you know, particularly like, uh, you know, the Evil Queen and Snow White. And, you know, there's scenes in uh, in Pinocchio where Pinocchio is transformed into a, an, a, into a donkey that, well, his best friend, you know, fully transforms from a little boy into a donkey. That scene would freak you out as a kid. I can remember it kind of freaking out. I think it was Scotty that was so addicted to that movie when he was little. Generations and generations, it's freaking. Oh, yeah, yeah. Some really, you know, some... Uh, Fantasia. I don't want to... Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the devil comes out at the end and, and raises the dead, and it's, you know, it's pretty pretty freaky, and, you know, it has 
ghosts and demons and wailing banshees and yeah, it's mm-hmm. yeah, not kitty fair, that's for sure. Absolutely. We still haven't said the name of the movie. Say it already, say it. It's the Iron Giant. <laughs> yes. I Iron Hubbard. <laughs> I love this movie. Oh my god. I I remember loving this movie, but I watched it a long time ago. And this is going to be my third viewing in the last week or so. <laughs> oh my god, this is a great movie. Maybe one of the best movies we've done on Commentary Monthly Monday. Actually, live action, cartoon, or whatever you want to, you know. I'll buy that. Genre you throw in. I will buy that. I was just... Um, yeah, both times that I've watched it in the last week, my jaw is just dropping at like how what a quality movie this is. I and love the geek connections that are all over the place with this movie because there are quite a few, and uh, we'll be noting those as yeah, they definitely as they come up. Well, are we ready to just kind of dive right into this thing? All right, do you want me to do the count the ceremonial countdown? Do it, Iron do it, giant. All right, I'm going to count down from three. All right, hang and on then I'm one gonna say, second. Let me reset my uh, my player. spacer here. Where's the... I lost the little dot. There it is. Okay. All right, I am good. He's lost his dot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so I'll say three, two, one, then I'll say go. When I say go, hit to play. All right. And you will watch the Iron Giant with the Freaks. Three, two... One, go. All right, it is playing. Warner Brothers. See this right? Yeah, exactly. I'm surprised that uh, that Bugs doesn't come out at the beginning of this because he does with a lot of uh, you know, like the Batman animated movie and stuff like that. So I'm surprised they didn't do it with this. Now, see, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have pegged this as Disney so much as I would have pegged this as like a Don Bluth. Don Bluth, yeah. It has a very Don Bluthy. Don Bluth liked to draw people with the little skinny necks, you know, and a head bobbling on top. Mm-hmm. It's not really that. It's not as if it's um, that exaggerated in this, but it, they they do have a sort of Don Bluth. Just starting this way, I'm hooked already. You know what I yes. mean? I, now, where? What was your first exposure to this? I saw this. I price. I, I, I. You know, it was probably you. Probably got got me to watch it. I remember when it came out, and I remember the critics going berserk. This is an mm-hmm. awesome movie, and I don't remember why I didn't see it in the theater, but I didn't. But I, 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 I discovered it on video, and I remember the first time being very impressed. But I had a different memory of it. Hold Which on, I'll just, get just into a second. Later in the movie. This is our first geek connection right here. This voice that you're hearing, the old sailor, that's M. Emmett Walsh, who has been in a million movies, but probably the two that immediately come to my mind. He's one of the military guys that actually is in the beach scene at the very beginning of Escape from the Planet of the Apes. He was also Dickie Dunn, the reporter in uh, Slapshot with Paul Newman. Oh, wow. He's... I'm trying to think of some other... He was Barry Allen's father on the Flash TV series. There's one for Mike Bailey. Um, Trying to think. If I think of other roles he's been in, but you would definitely know him. If you saw him, you know, the actual actor, you'd be like, oh my god, yes, I know that guy. He's been in everything. So, yeah, he's been around. 
think he was also in Raise the Titanic, if I'm not mistaken. I think. Oh, and he's been in a million. A Westerns million. Oh yeah, yeah. He's been movies. around. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I'm sorry. You were saying? Oh, I, um, I don't know what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> The animation in this is just beautiful because I think this is the one of the best uh, animated movies I can think of that is a just a seamless combination of traditional hand-drawn mm-hmm. and computer stuff. I mean, it and, really blends well. And realism and stylism, too. Oh, absolutely. Stylistic in some parts, you know, the, the people, but like the backgrounds and... Uh, and what I like is it's also not this idealized view of the 50s. It gets the look of it, not that I was there, right? but as I would imagine it is, you know, people have this sort of idealized view of the happy days, view of the 50s. And this one just seemed, the, the way they portray it in this just seems to be, you know, nor, normal life going on without nostalgia attached to it. I don't know if that makes any sense. But they seem like normal people and not like, oh, let's make everybody into 50s people. They got the clothes right. on, but they talk, you know, there's not this um, um, urge that's usually in these to put in a million cultural catchphrases yeah. and stuff and cultural references and right. 23 skidoos and stuff, although that's earlier. But you 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 know what I mean, right? They, they, no, I he do. does say stuff. There there is lines of dialogue, but it's natural. Mm-hmm. You know, he says hip early, later on, and and this guy, this guy could have easily been like a Maynard G. Krebs. Style. This is going to sound really crazy, but this role and this performance right here changed totally changed my opinion of Harry Connick Jr., who I always thought was kind of eh, whatever before I saw this. And then I saw this movie and actually started paying attention to him when he was in other movies after this. And I've seen him on, like, I think it's Ellen that he's on regularly and stuff. He's actually pretty cool. He's a lot like the character that he's playing here, and I thought that was really funny. I I didn't know that Harry Connick Jr. segued from music into Mm -hmm. into acting. Yeah. Yeah, he's the voice of uh, Dean, the hippie guy. He's a very he's a very good musician too. He's oh, yeah. a little, you know, I mean, he's got that he had that Las Vegas sort of right. cheese to him mixed with a little New Orleans with it, but he was very good. Yeah. And uh yeah, he does I mean, this character could have been very just like, oh, we got a he's a beatnik, you know. Right. But he's a three-dimensional character and he's nobody in this is stupid. Right. No nobody in here acts you know is is just sort of a dumb um or the animation stereotype fantastic. my wife has an amazing gift when it comes to uh, animated movies too she's really good at picking out voices because uh-huh. she spotted that the mother is jennifer aniston and i i'm really bad at that apparently because i never I you know, now sure. i realize that it is her but i never would have realized it before I I I am horrible at it. You know? <laughs> it's a it's a it's a talent. You know, I I know right. Mike Bailey does it, but uh, sometimes I'll do it. But what when what happens with me is I'll just it's it's horrible. It's frustrating because I'll sit there and I'm like, who is that voice? Right. Who is that voice? That happened to me when I went to visit you and I ended up when you were at work in downtown Disney and and um, 
I think it was Megamind that I saw, maybe. Yes, yeah, that was it. And and uh, had the voice of David Cross in it. And for the whole movie, I'm like, God, I can almost picture the face, you know. But I did was that. He was in the Mister Show. He was in uh, Arrested Development. He's a stand-up comedian. Hmm. He's a, he's a little squirrely guy. With, he sort of looks like me, <laughs> bald and uh, glasses. And cynical. <laughs> I remember you really liked that movie. I still haven't, uh, still haven't seen that. I love that the bad acting in this movie that he's watching. Yes, yes, and I love the radium dial clock mm-hmm. on the phone. I've been collecting those this summer. I've got like five of those. How about a nightcap? I love that. I love the stuff on the TV in this movie. Mm-hmm. And and like when he's there's a scene later on where they're watching a nuclear. Look at the boobs on that woman. This is ridiculous. <laughs> the brain slinks off. <laughs> what I the the only problem I have with that is it the movie that he's watching actually looks better than, you know, it's like filmed better than the movies were in those days. Right, yeah. They should have had a string like pulling that brain along. That would have been really funny. Minor quibble. (laughs) It's funny. I I actually did some research for this show. (laughs) Because um, I was convinced in my own mind and, you know, trying to think of the the how this developed that uh it was a creation of originally Pete Townsend because Pete Townsend wrote uh you know an album a musical piece to go along called The Iron Man and it was made to be I think like a theatrical play because at that time they were making everything into plays Tommy was a play and it was huge. I think they might have even made Quadrophenia into a play. And uh, so I and I was thinking that, and a couple people were like, "No, no, you're you're totally deluded." And then I found out I was only half deluded, pretty much. Mm-hmm. That Pete Townsend did indeed, because uh, I found a video that he made for one of the one of the songs off it with a stop motion animation of you know the iron man didn't look anything like the one in this but with a little kid luring the iron man and with very 80s green screen video effects into a trap and then like the iron man digging his way out but upon doing some research onto that i found out that pete townsend had based it on a book from i think like the teens or the 20s it might even have been the 1800s called The Iron Man. Mm-hmm. And his was a pretty much straight-up adaptation of the book, which is very different from this. About the only thing that it has in common is The Iron Man's Redemption, and uh, the kid's name is Hogarth. Right. And uh, the, that story, like a lot of science fiction from those days, was bizarre. Completely just, you know... The Iron Giant just showed up and was eating everything, very much like this up until this point. And the kid figures out that it likes metal and and can attract it by um, beating on a piece, you know, two pieces of metal together, and it'll attract it. 
and you know the townsfolk convince the kid befriends it, but then they the townsfolk convince him that you know the iron giant's a menace. So the kid lures him into a hole, and the townspeople bury him. But then he digs his way out like a year later, and all sorts of weird like this creature from another from space flies down and is attacking Europe, and the iron giant defeats it by having a contest of who can sit in concentrated heat long enough and he beats this thing and it turns out that this thing is some creature that sings the music of the spheres so he makes it fly around earth and sing beautiful music and very strange you know and nothing i have a feeling it was a rip on politics at the time oh my god this scene is just beautiful this reminds me of fleischer superman yep very uh, much so. Animation. I almost wonder if maybe he's intentionally supposed to look in this scene, like the way he looks and moves, if he's supposed to look like one of the mechanical monsters. Right, right. It's just the way it's lit with the That's low a very light. Superman thing right there, mm-hmm. too. Because in the mechanical monsters, Superman falls. The mechanical monster that's carrying Lois, remember he jumps lands on its back he's trying to rescue lois the mechanical monster is in flight he just flips upside down dumps superman and he gets trapped in electrical lines just like this just like that and it's shocking him in the heart like that i always thought that was cool i I can't help but think that that's an intentional nod because as we're going to see with this movie uh there's there's a a lot of love given to superman in this which is another reason i really really dig this movie Yeah, so I, I, I think the original book was mostly, like, maybe commenting on politics and social norms of the time. So it doesn't make a lot of sense now. And uh, the, the way that they've adapted it for this is brilliant, you know. To set it in the 50s and on the, you know, West Coast rather than... I think it was, like, in the English countryside in the book... I love that sound. The wires snapping. Mm-hmm. Just awesome. Every li- there's just such subtleties. All the backgrounds are layered. Mm-hmm. Even the slightest movement, you'll see the the different layers to give it depth. Well, the animation in this is just, in, you know, it's just fantastic. So rich. Painstaking. Yeah. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think that's almost, you know, a lost art, at least on this scale, you know. And with... It's it's just amazing how you can see the dollar value of animation <laughs> from the, the difference between, say... The, the trashiest, you know, kitty cartoon in this, mm-hmm. and and yeah, and this puts this puts any Disney film to shame. It doesn't have uh, like the fanciful spectacle of Disney stuff, but it just captures it captures a more Spielberg yes feel of wonder to it. Than a Disney feel of wonder. It's this. I mean, you could draw, and and we we, we prop, 
pretty much starting from this point in the movie, about 15 minutes in, you you can start drawing like great E.T. parallels all the way through it. There's a lot of beats that are like E.T., but that's because it's such a simple story. It's it's the boy meets dog story, a boy and his dog story. I'm led to believe that uh, Bird himself doesn't like those comparisons very much. He he was quoted as saying something to the effect of, "Yeah, I guess, but ET didn't go out and kick any butt either," which is very true. That's in this. true. <laughs> the Iron Giant. That's you know. true, but it, that, it's the quiet moments. It's where he's talking to. Well, we'll get to that later. But when he's talking to the robot and mm-hmm. and the and and you know maybe it's because. It has that same thing where it. I mean, this this whole movie is from a kid's point of view, and it doesn't dumb it down. It doesn't dumb him down. It doesn't idealize him. Atomic Holocaust. I love it. I love. All, I love like half the kids are like, whoa. And I mean, look, the little girl in the back's like rubbing her nose, and it's. Whenever I watch it, I can't focus on anything but the screen with the with the cartoon on it. I love how she has a smiley face as the bomb like <laughs> drops basically She's on top of her. Completely safe under that desk. Under a desk. <laughs> Now this, uh, as opposed to the the horror movie, has the look of a totally authentic mm-hmm. '50s propaganda cartoon. See, I don't think this guy ever says "daddy-o," and any a lesser movie would have had him. There's That's very no true. Way, yeah. There's no way he would have gotten through the whole movie without saying "daddy-o" or something like that. Well, that's one thing I've noticed about uh, Bird's films is that he does have a very natural way with the way that the people interact with each other. Like Spielberg. Oh, absolutely. And another element like E.T., except this is just the the opposite where the the government man's... Another thing I like about this is... And I'll, I'll wait till later. This but. is this is going to sound like a really weird criticism, and I understand that it's a really weird criticism. This is the only thing I don't like about this movie is this guy. Now you're not supposed to like him, and I think oh, what is the actor's name that plays him? Because I really like that actor. It's something McDonald. Let me see if I can find Norm it. Norm McDonald. It's uh, no, it's not Norm. It's um. Christopher, Christopher McDonald. He does such a good job in this role that, again, he makes you really, really dislike this character. I, I get all that, but I like don't like the character so much that it kind of it almost brings the film down a notch. You know, to me, only because I really don't like the scenes with this character. He's that annoying. What I what I like about this this guy. Or, or uh, well, not about this guy, but the way they portrayed him is here. You're not really sure whether you're supposed to. At the beginning, you're not really sure whether you're supposed <laughs> to like him or not. You're not really sure whether he's going to end up being for the giant or against the giant. You know, he he could go either way. And then, as it goes on, you start finding out that yes, he's he's definitely more about. 
It's hard to say what his motivation is. I think maybe he just wants to get the Iron Giant to, you know, promote himself or something. But at this point, his character could have gone either way. He could have ended up, you know... Have you ever seen Yesterday's Enterprise? It's an episode of Next Gen. It's one of the best episodes of Next Gen. It consistently winds up on a list of like I the have best. Seen that one. It's it's a great episode. It's something happens to the time stream essentially, and the Enterprise B, or excuse me, the Enterprise C rather, which was destroyed at this climactic battle, comes through time and is face-to-face with Picard's Enterprise. And because of that, because it was never destroyed at the battle where it was fated to be destroyed, all of time gets changed. And MacDonald plays a character on the Enterprise C uh, named Castillo. If you haven't ever seen it, I don't want to give anything else away, but it's a fantastic episode, and he's really likable in the character that he plays mm-hmm. in that episode. He's a very, very good actor. I like him a lot. That's a good shot. I'm psyched. I'm looking at my little Iron Giant figure that I got at the <laughs> a few weeks ago. I love the way he moves. Yes. He's got some very good, cool. good gyroscopes in him. Well, we were trying to remember what it was that ow, that inspired us to do this episode, and, and I think it was we were talking on not the most recent Comics Monday Monday, but the one a month ago, about the fact that, uh, I love that shot too, about Vin Diesel being cast to be the voice of Groot in um, Guardians of the Galaxy. He's the voice of the giant in this. Uh-huh. I think that's neat. This is a very E.T. like moment here. Yes. So, I guess you're not. Well, that's why I'm about this point in the movie. I was start. This is where I was starting to draw the parallels to to E.T. Right. Shut off, switch. You saw me save you. Using metal instead of uh, Reese's pieces. So- <laughs> He looks like he has a permanent smile too, which helps helps the look of him. From up there? Don't you remember anything? Hmm? Maybe it's that bump on your head. <laughs> I'm surprised this never got made like into a Saturday morning cartoon. I'm so glad that yeah. <laughs> it stands <laughs> alone. It you know I I I could I could if they got the same team and they were able to really do because you know there's there have been do movies where created for a sequel yeah if, there have been just, sequels that have come along where i'm like oh god why did they make a sequel and then it ends up you know wow they really pull you know like i'll, I'll say toy story 2 i think is a great example because that's a movie i really didn't think a sequel would work and i actually well, think needed. i like T- toy story 2 better than the first mm-hmm. one so it, it took a different it took a different approach right the first movie so potentially there could be a great movie in an Iron Giant two, but yeah, I am glad that that they didn't do a TV. Plus, I you know I could be wrong. I don't think this movie did very well. I think that was part of why it's it's like one of those underrated. I don't know if you call it a classic quite yet, but it's extremely underrated. Right. 
And uh, I think it now has developed a bit of a cult following. But at its time, I'm trying to look here because I could be wrong. But I well, the toy, the toy that I have is a Happy Meal toy, or it's some sort of you know fast food. But that doesn't mean it was popular. That just means they were trying to market it, actually. Approximately 1,900 hours. Satcom radar detected an. Yeah, this should be this should be like a classic that gets played on TV every year. Some assumed it was a large meteor or a down satellite, but my office in Washington received a call from someone who reported an actual... Yeah, according at least to the wiki article, it was a box office failure, which is a real shame. Yeah, the budget on this was uh, between 50 and 70 million, and it only pulled in 31. I think that's a worldwide gross, too. So yeah, it was it was uh, not successful. I like how it cuts from evil Conan O'Brien to the kid. <laughs> You know, that has a cross cut with them do basically doing the same thing. Just, right. Just stay here, okay? I'll come back tomorrow. The kid's kind of got that, like, generic kid voice, but he's got great dialogue, you know? Well, yeah, I looked him up to see what else dialogue. he might have gone, been in or gone on to or whatever. The only other thing I could find that I've seen is uh, Batman Mystery of the Batwoman. He was uh, Jason Todd. Or, excuse me, not Jason Todd, but uh, Tim Drake, Robin, in that. I told you! I'll come back tomorrow! <laughs> hey? I just love the look at that, that the giant has sometimes. Yes. Like, well, it's that dog with a cock dog, head. Yeah. <laughs> Bad robot. Which is, isn't that, that's, um... J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams, uh... I don't think he had anything to do with this movie, though. I could be wrong, but I don't think he did. Maybe that's where he got it from, though. This would definitely be up his alley of something that he would <laughs> appreciate. So I hadn't seen this in a while when, when we decided to cover this one. I, I, it had been quite a while since I had seen it, so I remembered loving it in that vague kind of way. You know, like, oh, I love that movie, but don't ask me specifics. So I sat down and watched it again, bawled again, loved it, and it got me thinking about, you know, Brad Bird. And mm. I knew I had seen other movies of his that I'd like, so I was I dug out and watched uh, The Incredibles, which I also hadn't watched in quite a while. That's a movie that we need to do a commentary for, because I every time I rewatch that movie, I feel really bad that we talk about comic book films a lot. And, and that's not one of them. Forget to mention that movie. That movie Which is one of the it. best superhero yes, movies is. ever made. Absolutely, it is. It, that it, movie gets like, um, in a way that most superhero movies don't. Yeah, like um, like um, Galaxy Quest is one of the best Star Trek movies yep. ever made. Yep. Um, yeah, that movie is like one of the best superhero movies ever made. Just it just invented its own heroes, you know. Yep. And Craig T. Nelson's a great voice actor. He's awesome in that. He's really good, and... Um, well, I mean, I think everybody in that's really, really good, but I, I especially like... Uh, I like Craig T. Nelson, I like Holly Hunter, and... Um, oh, God, what's his name? Jason Lee as Syndrome. Because mm -hmm. something I, I don't think I ever really caught until recently when I rewatched it, there's a scene right at the beginning of the movie... Where Incrediboy gets into Mr. Incredible's car, 
and Mr. Incredible looks at him and instantly knows who you know his secret identity. He knows that he's the kid from the fan club, and he goes, "Oh, what was your name?" And he's fishing around for names, and he throws out several different names, one of which is Brody, which has got oh, really? to be a nod to his role in um, Mallrats. Yeah. You know, the comic book nerd, which I thought was awesome. I was like, oh, well, how did I never catch that before? I need your car. But I was looking at a list of, uh, of Brad, you know, Brad Bird's films, and uh, there was one on there. It's one of the few, if not the only, um, live-action film was Mission Impossible Gro- uh, Ghost Protocol. And I've never seen any of the Mission Impossible movies, and you know how much I just absolutely love Tom Cruise. Well, I saw the first one, and I thought it kind of blew. <laughs> but I so. I found it was on Netflix, so I thought, well, I'll just watch the first couple minutes just to see you know, if I can tell like the Brad Bird style, but in a live-action movie. And next thing I know, I'd watch the entire movie. It's really good. It didn't hurt that it had Simon Pegg in it, and it also has, what's his name, Renner, that played uh, Hawkeye in the Avengers. Oh, okay, yeah. Is it Jeremy Renner? It's either Jason or Jeremy. Yeah. It was really, really good. Despite Tom Cruise, it was really, really good. I enjoyed it a lot. (laughs) Great soundtrack. Another Giacchino. It uh, It was a solid movie. This movie, by the way... Uh, Iron Giant, I think, has a really solid soundtrack. It's uh, Michael Kamen. He did uh, probably most famous, I would guess, for Die Hard, um, Highlander. trying to think. What else did he do? He did a whole bunch of movies. This movie just has incredible sound design. Oh, yes. It has incredible everything design, but the sound design, the sounds of metal and... This is a great surround sound movie. If you want to put something on for a really good test of your sound system, this is a great movie to test your sound system with. What else? Oh, The Dead Zone. He did The Dead Zone. You and I love that movie. We watched that. I haven't seen that in a long time. I love that movie. I love that movie because it had Herbert Lom in it, and I love Herbert Lom. Yeah, he did Highlander, Die Hard, Baron Munchausen whole bunch of movies he composed the theme to uh from the earth to the moon that's one of my favorite tv themes of all time kind of a reworking of his robin hood prince of thieves but it's still really good i've noticed uh he's got hogarth's shirt has the same pattern that's on his wallpaper in his room Mm -hmm. which is a sort of visual theme that runs through this whole thing i love how they make it into a dog (laughs) <laughs> it's totally a dog, and it's like mechanical entrail, like nerves at the end are wagging like a tail. Salesman! Just slams the door. Slams the door on his face. What a dirtbag. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much. Here. Pretend you're a gangster. 
Damn it, Mansley! You call me at home for this. This that guy's famous too. Is wasn't he the father on? Uh, oh, what was that show with the psychiatrist? Ah, I'm gonna blank. I can't think. For some of reason, now. I keep thinking it's George C. Scott playing no, the general was, there. Yeah, I think he was he dead, was dead by, by that yeah. right? Or Ed Asner, no, the, maybe. No, the general is the guy from. Ah, I can't think of the name of it. All right. X-Men First Class, the guy who played Beast. Oh, Kelsey Grammer? Kelsey Grammer. What was the show that he was on for so long? Cheers? It was a spinoff of Cheers. Oh, Frasier. Frasier. He's the dad from Frasier. Oh, okay. I was that's like, that's weird. not Kelsey Grammer. No, 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 no. It's the dad from that show. Oh, he's got an awesome general yes, voice. Does. Yes, he does. But what I like about this also is usually the general, especially when you see this guy in his office and everything, you know, in his crew cut, you're going to think you're thinking that general's going to be trouble. You mm-hmm. know, you're thinking that, you know, automatically you're thinking what what role does that guy play in a movie like this? And it's always a bad guy. Right. General Ross or not that he's a good guy in this movie, but he's a, he's not. He's he's a rounded character, you right. know. He's 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 not just like, come on, we're gonna go. Right. Well, yeah, it turns out all the trouble ends up being caused by that one, this one guy. And he's the only guy who's kind of a jerk in the whole movie who doesn't who isn't like doesn't figure out, you know. That's that's one thing about these kinds of movies and like the townspeople and when the town you know whatever whatever it is that the kids hiding you know when and 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 this was another thing that I thought ET played right was when like the townspeople and in the case of ET like ET's friends find out about whatever it is they freak out for a second but they figure out okay this thing's you know not not going to hurt us very quickly, you know, and and are sort of down with the program, and I like that. That's what real people do, you know. <laughs> You're right. I never noticed the wagging before. You're absolutely right. Just every little detail is. I love all the. I, you know, I'm always like my eyes always wandering to the knickknacks on the shelves in the background and stuff, mm-hmm. and. uh Man, they just they just did their homework in this, and they made it look like things would look without overdoing it. <laughs> I love this. She opens the door. Watch the secret agent guy. Oh. <laughs> Ow. That movie would be a big laugh in the theater for kids. That's something you don't see in an animated Yeah, movie no kidding. Too. Once again, just like in all movies, this came up in uh, uh, Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror Friday the 13th episode. Nobody in the movie wipes. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever you see someone on the toilet get up in the movies, they just get up and walk away. That's disgusting. I know. He wasn't really going to the bathroom. Well, that's true. That's true. Oh, here you go. Big old stack of books. 
This is also this is the equivalent of Elliot showing E.T. all his Star Wars Star Wars figures. Yeah, mad. And what books does he pick? A <gasps> spirit. And then, oh yes. All right, two, two, right in a row, two that have been made into movies by people that just don't get either character. Mm-hmm. And right here. <laughs> Brad Bird is illustrating that he gets it. <laughs> to me, that's what this says right here. The guy gets it. He gets the essence of of these these genres. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, I love it. I wonder if they had to pay like DC money. It's Warner Brothers. Oh, it's Warner Brothers that did this? Oh, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> Which, I guess, means that they could be open to criticism of trying to self-promotion, but I don't see no. it that way at all. No, no, it's perfect. I, I it's see this perfect. as a love letter. Why would why would you pretend that a kid in the in 1957 wouldn't know about Superman? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't draw parallels and stuff like that great scene yeah it would only look they almost go right over the moon too Mm -hmm. i was thinking that yeah it's just got just got beautiful heart to it It's taking place in the same territory that Twilight takes place in, too. (laughs) Maybe they'll do Twilight meets Iron Giant. That would be a crossover. This is Stephen King territory. Isn't it? Is this Maine? I I think it's supposed to be the West Coast. I think it's supposed to be like... Oh, is it? Oh, okay. uh, It could be either. But to me, I always got the idea that that it it was... Although in the in the diner the Matt said Rexall and Rexall's Rexall comes from our part Rexall started in our part of the See I just assumed with the fishermen and all that that this was supposed to be, you know the uh the upper east coast, you know, Maine or Maine, something like that. I love this part. He just blends in with the billboard. Just like E. T. did with the stuffed animals. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I'm on it, man. I'm on it. That's awesome. <laughs> he does. He looks like one of those old 50s sci-fi billboards or a movie poster or something. That's awesome. <laughs> the look on the giant's face here in a second. He's like, oh, but there goes my lunch. There he <laughs> right is. I love that. Oh. Oh, come to Papa. <laughs> 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 See now, this is what this is one of the delusions I always suffered over the years about this movie. Is I always thought the Iron Giant was an escaped government, you know, that he had somehow been in like the government knew about him and knew he w- knew what was up with him, and he just sort of got loose. But I don't. My boys like this part because they like to imagine that this car just comes down like in the middle of town or somebody's house. <laughs> he just flings it. Yo! <laughs> Your boy, that's exactly what you and I would have been thinking when we were, you know. 
some old lady sitting in like petting her cat like, Hello, Mr. Fluffy. What a wonderful morning. There's another, I just thought of, there's another, he must love stuff with cars getting flung because right toward the end of The Incredibles, one of my favorite visuals in that movie is when Syndrome has the baby and he gets, he drops, he finally drops the baby and he's taunting Mr. Incredible. He's standing like on his airplane taunting Mr. Incredible who's on the ground and he's laughing, he does his sinister villain laugh, and then when he looks again, here's this car sailing up at him from the ground that Mr. Incredible threw at He threw a car at him. I just love that. It's a great visual. I've always wanted to live in a Quonset hut, man. Uh, I, I'm so jealous of it. This is what my Quonset hut would look like, too. This reminds me of the, uh, the place that we lived over there on Monroe Ave, that upstairs. Yes. Yes, the attic of the place. Yes, mask rough. on the wall Unfinished. looks like a Guy Fox mask too, like from V. Oh yeah, well it's t- that in those that that was a big time for Hawaiian and uh, Polynesian. Mm-hmm. You know the tiki room, like the tiki room. Yeah, tiki's. He has a Jack Kerouac poster up too. But he's not like a stereotype beatnik. He's he's just an artist guy, you know, right. who's who's kind of ahead of his time. <laughs> he's like hip Shaggy. I love it. Well, he's like Shaggy mixed with Fred. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's got that. He's got a head on his shoulders. Man, I would love to live in a junkyard. Dean's gonna need to change his shorts. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Ah, that's my future job, junk man. I wonder how you become a junk man. <laughs> You're on your way. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I, I I literally had to run in to get in in time for the show because I I was I was like I'm gonna go get my shop vac and do some vacuuming around the house, and then I realized that I'd piled junk around it, so I had to pull all my junk out of the garage, and uh, and I'm like, okay, well, I better organize this stuff. And then, before I knew it, it was like one fifty-seven. Love the old gas tanks there. I'm sure, I'll bet you that painting on his wall is, like, based on some famous artist style. I mean, even the clouds in the background are just fully moving and dimensional. Let me see, what else has Bird worked on? Because I'm telling I need to get up to speed on this guy. It's funny, though, I mean, he really doesn't have all that many credits. As because far he as... probably only he probably only does a movie when it's good. 
Right. You know, I mean, he probably only takes a job when he can make a good movie. And those guys typically, the people who really make those full, like Spielberg, right. they have to do it on their own, at their own speed, or else you're going to get, you're not going to get the, this, you know, you're not you know going to get. He uh, he wrote Batteries Not Included. Did you ever see that? That was a great movie. That is a great little movie. It's got that very was, similar that was a while ago. This. Yeah, yeah. That must have been what he must have been really young when he did that because it wasn't a perfect movie, but it it was it was very Spielbergian, wasn't it? Maybe Absolutely. Spielberg produced that too. He might have had. Something I, I think to do he was a producer. It. I don't remember who directed it, but I know that he uh, he did have a hand in that movie somehow or other. That's a really good movie as well. That uh, one got sort of a critical drubbing because they were like, "This is pushing the. This is just another, you know, cute something." Well, it, it came out right around the same time as Cocoon, and I, I think mm-hmm. a lot of people thought it was just trying to to ride the the coattails of that. But they are very different movies, despite having both uh, Jessica Tandy and Hume Cronin in it, it. It's a completely different kind of movie, and I, I thought it was wonderful. I really enjoyed that movie. But yeah, you know, he did this. This was his first big thing. He did The Incredibles, Ratatouille, um, Ghost Oh, he did Ratatouille? Yeah, I think Ratatouille is amazing, too. See, I haven't seen that. It's one of the few Pixars I have not seen, and I skipped it only because I it just didn't look like it had anything in it to interest me. But just the fact that it's him, I'm going to have to check that out. Here's, and it's got Patton Oswalt as the voice in it, too. Hmm. And he's he's great, but you know that's the thing about that's the thing that I have no doubt that Ratatouille is awesome, but it doesn't sound awesome, and that usually with like directors like Brad Bird is a sign that it's going to be even more awesome than regular awesome movies because otherwise, you know how are you going to sell the idea of. A cooking rat, you know, to to the studios. Right, it must have been like a fantastic script, and then they and then they coupled Brad Bird with it, and were like, "All right, we'll make it." Because everybody I know that that seen that movie just you know gushes about it. Yeah, the old laxative trick. You can never go wrong with that, and. Any movie. He has a movie he's working on. Look at that kid's face as he's watching him eat it. He's just like, yeah, that's right. Eat it up. Yum, yum, yum. According to what I'm looking at here, it's it's scheduled for a 2014 release sometime next year. But he's working on a movie called uh, Tomorrowland. Oh. I am really (laughs) looking forward to. Oh my God! I don't even know what that's about, but uh, that's got to have Scott Gardner written all over it. Yep. What is it about? Is it about Disney? They they have kept a very tight lid on it. Oh. I think it does have something to do with Disney, but they're they're keeping a pretty tight lid on it. Well, I mean, but I'm intrigued with Pixar and stuff. And if he's throwing Tomorrowland in the, I mean, that's a copyrighted. Oh, that's that's um, um intriguing. And he would get it. <laughs> I don't even know what it is. <laughs> I'd hope it was some sort of Disney biopic, but that's already sort of happening. 
isn't it, with the Tom Tom Hanks? Well, kind of, sort of. It's it's more about the making of uh, of Mary Poppins and and the struggles right. that oh, okay. he had to go through to acquire you know the rights yeah. and permissions for that. But still, it's close enough that. It's given me hope that maybe there will finally be uh, a Walt Disney biopic. I would love that. Well, may, yeah, maybe Hanks will get people uh, wound up about the character enough that they'll want more. I'm hoping so. Style. Now, this look at this. He's almost got a, a X-Wing pilot's <laughs> yeah. outfit on. <laughs> what I'd be doing too. That's awesome. I love that that going so fast his helmet flies off. <laughs> now this is pod racing. Yeah. <laughs> Except this kid can act. Yeah, I was just gonna say. Are you an angel? Well, can you move Coolsville to someplace less conspicuous? How about the lake? Okay. Everybody's every character has their own body language. Yep. It's just fantastic. It must have cost so much to make this and especially like outside of you know, a huge outside of Disney or Pixar or any place like that with a big <laughs> studio. <laughs> and they're, they're going to, they're going to poop jokes yep he keeps getting bouts <laughs> poop jokes but it doesn't feel cheap it's not like Jar Jar stepping in poodoo right it's edgy <laughs> and I also like how his the gun said hog hug on it right tell somebody about it This is some amazing animation here. It's beautiful. I mean, it's so richly detailed. Shaded well. But what what really gets me is the backgrounds. Because you, you haven't seen backgrounds like this in an animated feature no, in a long, long time. time. No, what I'm talking about is this next part coming up. <laughs> this is just a beautiful visual visual gag. It's a nice combination of both visual, but the audio is fantastic too. As he comes, he comes in sounding like a like a freight train chugging at you. That's what I like about it. You can hear the build up, the chug 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 chug, right before he jumps. It's great. That's awesome. Dean just brings a paper up to his face. That's all he can do. <laughs> this, I love, this is just a <laughs> great visual gag with the <laughs> raccoon and... <laughs> and it's not, I mean, this is totally unrealistic. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> 
I love this. But look at the reflection of the light off the road and stuff. I mean, that looks like a wet country road. <laughs> All right. <laughs> he just drives. <laughs> I think that's fun for one day. And, I mean, it was this gorgeous background painting of that country road, and it was mm-hmm. in the film for two seconds. Yep. Two seconds. Somebody probably worked a week painting that. Worth every second of it. Hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. Maybe it is Maine because it's got lots of like the fall trees. Right, yeah, the seasons. Bambi. Mm-hmm. It's a very Bambi scene. That's a great look on the deer's face. But I just, I don't buy a deer being like, oh, to something that big, that deer would be gone. Ah, the animation's just gorgeous. What I thought about the first time when I saw that was that she smelled him and she was like, whoa, that's metal and it's not alive. But I think what it was was she smelled the hunters. Mm-hmm. And that's why she uh, she noticed the hunters and then was getting out of there. This part would have killed me as a kid in the in this yeah, movie. Yeah, it does now. And I like that it's does it you know the real the, don't touch a dead body. Mm-hmm. But it's something a kid would say. One of the things that I think is really incredible in this movie that totally works is that they don't need you know they don't feel the need to give you any explanation of him. Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. they give you is enough. To make to the figure movie out work. what's going on, yeah, right like he, there, he's right a weapon there, the, of war, and you don't need to know why or who against or anything. This is all you need to make the story work. I love well, it. At, at that point, the first time I saw that, I thought what was happening was he was mad. He was like, mm, "I want to get whoever killed," and and maybe I I don't know if that's what they meant to him. I love how his eyes look like there's like two light bulbs that are on you know, that are rotating around in his head and just shining on the surface of his eyes. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. But um, I think they wanted you to sort of think that that's what that reaction was. And then, and then the second time you figure out whenever this guy sees weapons, he goes into defensive mode. Right. And, uh, yeah, I love that. I love that when a story is told without with the minimal exposition and explanation as possible. Right. It lets you it lets you figure out by what the thing what the people and the characters are doing and how they do it and how they work, what's going on, you know? And it, it's it's a movie that does not underestimate its audience's intelligence. Mm-hmm. And 
I don't it, know why people don't understand that that's a good thing. Absolutely. <laughs> it always works out. Well, it didn't work out financially in this case, but in the long term, it always wi- works out because people are watching this movie still. And you're late for dinner. See, I wonder what the cumulative gross over time has been if this movie has yet turned a profit at all, because I know that it has achieved a sort of cult status. A lot of people have discovered the movie. Oh, yeah, it was between 50 and 70 million, of which it it didn't even make. Well, if you go by the 50, then it made back a little over half. If you go by the 70, it didn't make even half. So, you know, it, it really did not do well at all. But it has achieved a, a kind of cult status, uh, status that seems to grow over time as more and more people discover it. I mean, I don't know of anybody personally that's ever seen this movie and has something bad to say about it. I've never heard anybody say, oh, I saw that and I hated it. You know, I, I've never heard everybody loves it, but deservedly so. It's a great movie. Now you watch, we'll get a flood of listeners writing in going, oh, I hated that movie, but I don't know. I hope not. Stupid. Well, I mean, that's their opinion. They're they're totally entitled to be go around walking around with the wrong opinion, I guess. Happens all the time. (laughs) Oh, did I say that out loud? Sorry. Can't do that. Oh, we can, and we will. Yep. And here's one thing. Here's the reveal where this guy's totally. Yep. He's scuffed. I wonder if uh, if Christopher McDonald could play a really good bad guy in real life because he's great as a bad guy here. See, there's that pattern again. There's a pattern again. That. Yeah, it's the pattern on it. Yeah, see how it falls into place. Yeah, is on his wallpaper. That's brilliant. Just beautiful. This kid's pretty sturdy, man. He gets chloroformed and <laughs> still has the eye of the tiger. But that's what kids are like, man. Once you get it, kids are like <laughs> a dog with a bone. Ah, oh, if he went to get Apollo Creed to be on his side right now, this would be the best movie ever. <laughs> the army arrives in the morning, Don't Continuity question. He's mm-hmm. like, Mom's out, but Mom just doesn't seem to come back all night. Mom's What's out Mom trying doing? to find herself a new husband. That's what she's doing. She's a working gal. Never does address the question of uh, Hogarth's father at all in this. Mm-hmm. At least I don't remember that it does. No, it doesn't. It it gives no unnecessary details. Mm-hmm. That's That's what I like about this movie. This movie is... Not a lot happens in it, really. It's a very simple story. It's a very simple progression of things. Not a, you know, it isn't a collection. If it was made nowadays, it would be like we got to pack in a lot of robot foo in this and right, stuff like yeah. this. And they have it in here, but it all everything relates to. Moving I wonder if that was supposed to be his dad. Story forward. I just thought of that. That little picture they pan past on his on his nightstand. Was he in like an airline pilot? Yeah, he's a fighter pilot. It looked like so he probably died in the war. Yeah. 
that would make sense. That. Yeah, I just caught that for the first time. See, that's what I mean. That's how they that's how they communicate it with one picture on the bed that you may or may not see. Stuff for they they put in stuff for repeat viewings. Repeat viewings. I love that. Yeah, it uh, it it doesn't pander and it doesn't insult your intelligence. That's that's quite a feat for any movie, especially here. You know, I mean, this is arguably a kiddies movie, so the fact that they could pull that off. <laughs> for some reason, the army is in our front. Send invaders from Mars poster in Forbidden Planet. Oh, good kids raised on the good stuff. <laughs> love the music I love scenes in this where the kid gets the better of oh yeah continually too yes alright where is it but this movie fills an hour and a half and what makes it appealing is how it tells a story not how much story there is not how much detail they can pack in, not how much they can milk every um, bit of drama or action or pathos or whatever. And it's quick, uh, just like this style of animation, it's becoming a lost art. Oh yeah, I got mad. I got mad today watching this a second time in preparation for the third watching. At, with with and and it was right at a part coming up fairly soon, where I was thinking to myself, why can't we have? Why can't somebody be in charge of? You know, like a Superman movie or a Star Trek movie that understands it, like like Brad Bird does. Mm-hmm. It's this this movie illustrates that those people are out there and it can be done. And when you watch a movie like this, and the Superman, the the moments that bring me to that that brought a tear to my eye in this were all the Superman moments, because I was watching it going, "This is Superman. This is yep. this is. It's not Superman in the movie, but it's the spirit of it, right there. The sentimentality there. of it, yeah. And then it, and then it all comes back. What crap we're getting now for that sort of for for a lot of that stuff. Not all of it, you know. You got your Avengers where they where they get it. But man, why couldn't ma- somebody make a Superman movie with these sensibilities, with the with the with the sensibilities of with, with the with the bottom line of people are good. <laughs> there's not really many, there's one bad guy in this whole thing. And and generally people come around to reason and figure things out in 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 a movie and the good guy is motivated by good. And that's it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's so simple, and it works. Now, then again, the people that finance a lot of these movies are definitely not going to want to hear that when you're like, you should make it more like the Iron Giant, because then they're going to look up the box office. Exactly. Uh. But, you know, he went on from this to do The Incredibles, which, you know, as we said a little while ago, I mean, you look at that movie and you're just like, oh, my God, that's how it's you like do. It's like a master's thesis on superheroes. Yeah. 
incredible movie. We need to do that one sometime soon. That is a great, great movie. No, Otomo. No, oh, I love this. Love this. <laughs> That's great. Uh-oh. <laughs> can get some x-ray vision here, Junior. The sound design in this is just awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and I've been welding like a sucker all this time. I love that sound. That, that sound been... is fantastic. Yeah, I like the scene. He's starting to scare himself. This is that scene in Harry and the Hendersons where he where he has to make him run off into the you know. Have you ever seen yeah. that? Oh yeah, that's a good move. Lift cow, come on. Oh yeah. Breaks my heart though, that one scene where he like hits Harry. He's trying to get him to leave to save his life, but he doesn't understand, so he has to like basically insult him and I think he takes a poke at him. Well it's just now, like yeah, it's just monsters. like every animal movie. Go on, you big dummy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, look I hate up. you! Don't you understand? I hate you! Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> there's a little bit of Frank. There's a little bit of Frankenstein in that uh, in that scene too. You know, yes. Boris, yeah. Boris Karloff, where he's sort of reaching forward with his with his big Frankenstein floor. hands. The snow effects are fantastic. They're actually well, layered. Once again, with the sound design. All of a sudden, the sound is there's that muted sound mm -hmm. that you get, that silence that you get when you got snow on everything that, yeah. that mutes every echo. And all of a sudden, just these scenes with cars, cars and the motorcycle pulling up through the snow, it sounds like a winter day. The only thing you don't hear is that, that that sound of snow hitting the ground, you know, that really quiet, subtle sound, which I don't think you could get. I love that look that the that the giant gave where his head just turned at the sound. That that was a total Superman. Oh, it's great. See? In in a, in a in a normal movie, the townspeople would be like, "Get it!" But they're just like, <laughs> "Hey, this guy's okay," you know. It, it, most movies would just go through those motions anyway because they would feel they had to. There's a giant on the beach. A giant on the beach. <laughs> what movie is that from? I wouldn't mind doing some of that, that movie. Faithful what movie is that from? Forever. What movie is it? That is Max Fleischer's... Um, Gulliver's Travels. Gulliver's Travels. Yep. Hey, Mom. Oh, you know what we need to do? 
we need to finally get off our butts and do what we had talked about before with with doing a, a Disney retrospective. But see, I would like to do that one as the because you know Snow White, of course, was the first full length animated movie. Gulliver's Travels was the second. That's not a Disney movie. Right. So I think it would be very interesting to do those two back to back as a compare and contrast because there are wonderful things about Gulliver's Travels, but there's also a reason why that's a bargain bin, you know, dollar video at Walmart as opposed to Snow White. There's there's a reason it's been kind of lost to time. It just doesn't have the staying power. It, it also, well, it also fell care. into the public domain, which was something that uh, Disney made sure right. didn't happen with any of its movies. But, I mean, I, I watched that movie, and I can enjoy it greatly, but there's a reason, I think. You, you look at the two of those, and one has just a, a certain indefinable timelessness, and the other one is very much a product of yes. its time. Yes, it is. The songs and the what the presentation of it. But the animation, the the Gulliver animation I think is fantastic. The little people of the town, they're a little too cartoon for me, but Yeah, they're they're out of a Max Fleischer short. Right. They're more Popeye. Yes. Whereas like Gulliver, oh I love this scene. Okay, th- yeah, this is Oh my god, I love this. This is this is where I was starting to have my Yep. My, I was getting mad at Man of Steel, <laughs> which I do a lot. But you go right ahead. You know, you're perfectly justified. Just, they they have this scene in Man of Steel, and that was supposed to be the one that was like the one like Superman. Ah, oh, that music! Oh, it's killing me. Ah, oh. see, it's chills. Chills. And it's a metal guy. Ah. It's the what would Superman do moment. Awesome. See, you could do this with Superman, too. That would be thing. You could totally do this with Superman. Yes. You could have it have this... That... That... In is, there's an innocence to it. Yes. But it's at the same time without being cloying or fake or like you said, pandering. It's 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 the real thing, it's the real innocence that you see in a story. Yeah. That it's a story. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be real. It's not hard to see with something like this and the other movies he's done where where Bird has become you know, now he's directing a, a big screen Disney, you know, big budget movie because he gets story. That's the big thing. That's that's the what it's made on. He's his story, yes. and he gets everything that. else serves it. That story. You can have wonderful special oh, effects. His heart just kills me, man. I know. Is see his arm like quiver. Ah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, here's the shoot at the giant monster. Let's tick it off moment. Oh, I love this. I love this. That's, as much as that's I, what my head does when I get mad. <laughs> <laughs> the sound in this part is just awesome. The different weapons. Oh, I love that. 
It's War of the that's Worlds. War of the it's, yep. It's so many different. Oh, that's in George Pal War of the Worlds. Oh my little Transformers God, going it. on too. Yeah. Right, that's what I was about to say. There you go. There's your Transformers. Everybody keeps asking us for. <laughs> he's unconscious, but he's okay. Let's get him in the car. I'm a doctor now. <laughs> right. He has no internal injuries. I can just tell. <laughs> This thing is cool. But, man, you really have... I mean, that's like... <laughs> look at the look on that guy. I love this. <laughs> and I love the character of this... Uh, the, 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 you know, the just... Archetype of the steely general, you know, who in the midst of battle is just like... Grabbing his phone away from the newbies. I love it. But I love this guy. This guy is the old school... You scare me, man. <laughs> Old school way the army used to be, where it was, you know, a little bit of think for yourself going on in there. Then destroy it. Radio the Nautilus. Tell him to target the robot and await my command. This is Nautilus. What is the giant's current position? They want to nuke him. That's not nice. How are It is almost impossible again to. Have a fifties movie without the nuke, though. This is true. This is the construction. This is a great part. <laughs> Don't kill them all, ET. <laughs> ET2, ET he needs to come back fully armed. Man, I wish they'd made that ET2 that, <laughs> was, that Spielberg wanted to make. That would have been one of the most amazingly bizarre things ever. ET comes back with a fleet of battleships. I was going to say, meanwhile, on an island, David Banner just got hit with a giant blast. <laughs> I love this part. See, the NRA would would <laughs> make sure this movie was banned. Oh, we don't need to go there. <laughs> we just changed that line from guns kill to guns don't kill, giant robots kill. You I'm just getting destroyed the entire town. I'm getting sucked into this movie now. I just want to watch. See, this guy has become so obsessed, he's just not even thinking. Also, another thing is, <laughs> would it be so easy to launch a missile by just yelling it? <laughs> you don't sound like, uh... <laughs> I love this part. Where's the giant Mansley? 
<laughs> He's just got that look like, whoops. I like how he just explains it to him. No, no, you're just going to die here with the rest of us. <laughs> and I like how the general is only slightly annoyed that he's about to die. Right. Nuclear blast. He's just like, well. Make sure he stays here like a good Well, that's that. Town's gonna get nuked. Oh, no. Why even bother sounding the alarm? <laughs> hmm. it's a You're gonna it's die. die! Everyone will die. There it is. That animation is beautiful. Oh, this part kills me. It's the end of that last Batman movie, too. Except it works this time. It's, <laughs> it you know, makes this, sense. This, this is the hero. This is the hero moment that even though he realizes this will probably be the end of me, I've got to do the right thing. I've got to save all these people, despite whatever the personal cost to myself is. Right. This is the Superman moment, and that's why it's so wonderful in this that you know they they. Not only make that I'll comparison be right here, right? Yeah, very much so. But I mean, they don't even mask it. He's emulating Superman. Oh yeah, because it's the Superman move. It. Love you. Awesome. This is absolutely awesome. I love this. Music's really good too. Wasn't that big boy robot, or I can't remember, it was like Big Fella or something? It was a Frank Miller. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wasn't that coming out around the same time as this? Uh, may have been. See, I love this. I mean, that lo that's a Superman-looking moment, too. Yeah. Uh. Oh, man. Red Sun. Just kills me. Congratulations, you're all sterile. You're all. <laughs> I'm sorry. Both was, was the last child born, and. <laughs> <laughs> and all the Who's down in Whoville that day. But see, I like it. The general takes his hat off. the star of Bethlehem. It's the blue fairy. Hello! <laughs> <laughs> Not that blue fairy! <laughs> it's Paul Lind. Aw, Rockwell, Maine. See, I was right. Maine, it was me. right. I don't know why I was thinking it was the West Coast. Your best work yet, honey. No doubt about it. And I like how they have, you know, you didn't have to have a whole romance of them hooking up, you right. know. 
and like, oh, they didn't like each other at first or whatever. It just sort of is included in here. Oh, hey, The general sent this to you. The general sent him the, the last piece. See, the general wasn't a bad guy. No, the general, the general, I like the general's character. It's, you see, it's a throwback. It's a true throwback because in modern movies, those generals are never good guys. They're never good guys. Mm -hmm. They're always, ever since, since, I think Stanley Kubrick ruined it with Jack Jack D. Ripper in in, uh, Doctor Strangelove. And ever since that, that character has just been so appealing that for people to write of the crazed military man. See, if I was this kid, I'd be following that thing. <laughs> to the Arctic? It was, I, wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't know, but I'd be like, oh, awesome. See you later. Aw. This is another part that was choking me up. Mm-hmm. Oh, the totally music. Spielberg. A lot of it's the music in this just gets me. Just I like think this Spielberg. Is one of, yeah, it's one of his better scores. Some really good computer animation, too. It's the Genesis Planet. Ah, <laughs> oh, I love that. Ah. Has a certain Christmas sound to it. Ah. Oh, man. Where are the hankies at? I know. It was beautiful, man. <laughs> uh, really, that is such a good movie. Oh, man, I love it. So, I don't know. I mean, does it need a sequel? No. It, it does no, not no. need one. No, no, no. It but... sets it up for it, but it's totally unnecessary. Yeah. Unless they figure, unless they do the right thing. And they... Okay, Pete Townsend executive produced it. Um, well, there was something here about that he when was we were cut, talking he about was that before. I think they had to. It says here, in 1986, rock musician Pete Townsend became interested in writing a modern song cycle in, uh, in the manner of Tommy and chose Ted Hughes' The Iron Man as his subject. Three years later, The Iron Man, a musical album, was released. The same year, Pete Townsend produced a short film set to the album single... A Friend is a Friend, featuring the mm-hmm. Iron Man in a mix of stop-frame animation and live action directed by Matt Forrest. In 1993, a stage version was mounted at London's Old Vic. Des McEnough, who adapted Tommy with Townsend uh, for the stage, believed that the Iron Man could translate to the screen, and the project was ultimately acquired by Warner Brothers. So I guess that was the genesis of the whole thing right there. Mm-hmm. How it wound up with Bird, I'm I'm really not sure, but Well, I'm glad they altered the it's one of those things where I'm glad they altered it from the book. Because it would it from judging from the synopses of the book that I read and the synopses that I read the synopsis that I read was like 3 pages long. It wouldn't have made any sense, you know. It would have been like something you'd put in the hands of like David Lynch or something like that, right. you know. And uh, 
this is I'm I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna put it up there with like Raiders and stuff as a perfect one of those perfect movies. Oh, absolutely. You can nitpick a couple little little continuity things or something or something that just doesn't maybe make sense a little bit. But man, it just it pushes the buttons perfectly. This movie has a 97 on Rotten Tomatoes. All right, that makes sense. I mean, wow. really, IGN what is there ranks- to criticize about it? The people who, are, the people who are like, eh, I don't like Disney-like stuff because it's too sweet, sugary, sweet. It's going to appeal to them. But then again, the people who it, it also appeals to somebody who doesn't want something gritty and, you know, cynical. Right. It it just it hits that perfect blend that people don't seem to know how to do that they. In the 70s and 80s, there was almost an instinctive um, thing to it, to the direct, the Spielbergs, and even Lucas with Star Wars and American Graffiti and movies like Slapshot and stuff. They just had, they had the feel that they were taking place in a real reality. And it didn't have to be our reality, but it felt real. And, and, and it wasn't a broad generalization and it wasn't didn't have a reliance on style it had they had style but uh, I'm getting mad again I'm getting mad again I'll have to go to Facebook and yell and scream that's where I can swear and stuff here's the plot of the next bird film. I think this sounds incredible. I love the logo for it. It just says Disney's Tomorrowland. It says bound by a shared destiny, a bright optimistic teen bursting with scientific curiosity and a former boy genius inventor jaded by disillusionment embark on a danger filled mission to unearth the secrets of an enigmatic place somewhere in time and space that exists in their collective memory as Tomorrowland. I think that sounds really cool got george clooney in it um hugh laurie oh i don't really recognize anybody else brett robertson i don't know who that is raffi uh cassidy thomas robinson i don't know who any of those people are michael giacchino's doing the score that's good i don't know i think it could be good it comes out around christmas time next year it's December 12th, 2014 is the release date. So, I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I'm thinking that of all the movies that you listed off of his, the only one I haven't seen is that um, Mission Impossible one. Dude, I watched it this morning. And uh, it was, like I say, I just I put it on just to, to watch. Because you know, movies like that will generally have like a James Bond opener. And yes. then like a title sequence and then the rest of the movie. I thought, eh, I'll watch the title sequence and just... Just I just wanted to get spot, a feel of it. Yeah, I just wanted to spot the the birdisms, you know. And the next thing I knew, I'd watch the entire flick. It was it sucked me right in. It was a really enjoyable movie. Lots of good action. It uh it, it felt like uh, the best way I could describe it, it's kind of a cross between the Incredibles and the Avengers. And I think the mm-hmm. a lot of the Avengers feel was because it has uh, Hawkeye in it. But uh, it was I enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. Well, Spec- I mean special it- effects. Basically, I think my point is, it sounds like he's batting a hundred. 
Oh yeah, bat and a foul. I don't know my sports term, but it sounds like he's he's throwing a no hitter, firing on all cylinders. <laughs> Something like that. All of a sudden my connection went wonky here, but I was trying to look at... According to this, this movie, The Iron Giant, says it's ranked on IGN's... uh, It's ranked fifth. Fifth? On their list of all-time animated uh, favorites... Ooh. And AFI nominated it for its top ten uh, animated films list, but I'm trying to pull the list up and it won't pull up for me wow. for some reason. <laughs> that's high praise. When you consider how <laughs> yeah. Disney classics that there are, that's pretty high praise. Even if you take Disney out of the running. This is true. You know, that's I could think true. of I could think of ten amazing animated movies. Mm-hmm. Maybe some of them being a lot of them would probably about half of them would be in the weirder end of it, but right, or maybe even the foreign side of it. Still, but, it's pretty incredible when you think about it. Yeah, great movie. So if you're listening out there and you haven't seen it, check it out. You got to see it. Why you're listening to this if you haven't seen the movie? I don't know, but you need to see it. It's a great, great movie. And if you got kids. All I'm in for it. They'll love it. So are we uh, are we definite on the choice for next month for Halloween? I liked your choice for le- next month, so we could we could announce it, and right. I'd be perfectly happy with doing that movie. All right. So next month for Halloween for the end of uh, October, we are going to do a commentary for one of my favorite movies. It's the 1979 Dracula, starring Frank Langella, score by John Williams. John Williams. Great, great movie. I haven't seen it in uh, in many a year, so I'm really looking forward to it. Sure hope it holds up, but the last, I mean, the last times I've ever watched it, I just, I get sucked back in every time. I think Langella was a great Dracula. Really looking. Who is the other, uh, somebody big in that, um... And what's his name, sir? Lawrence Olivia. Uh, Lawrence Olivia, yeah. Lawrence Olivia is in that. He plays. Uh, Van I wanted Helsing. to say Anthony Hopkins, but that was in the Scorsese or not no. Scorsese, the um, Coppola version. Coppola, yeah. I heard that wasn't very good. Oh, you've never seen it? I've never seen it. No, I've never seen. I it. think it's. I think it's incredible. It's a. It's a. It's. It's. You know, it's master filmmaker, and then. It has Keanu Reeves in it as Harker. <laughs> and, like, you know, everybody's talking British, and then you've got him going, like, you know. Dude. It's dude, Dracula, man. It's got Anthony Hopkins. That's another thing is it's got Anthony Hopkins as Van Helsing. Uh, but he's great in it. It's, it's, it's basically a straight-up adaptation of the book. See, that's what I've heard. Which makes it, which makes it weird. But see, you this... know, instead they took the approach of like we're going to adapt the book and make this. It was almost like a stage play diorama type thing, and it was neat to see how they did it. But the one we're watching is more of just like a straight up Dracula movie. This is the best way I could describe the '79 Dracula. It's it's a little bit the old Frank Langella 
movie that was adapted from his time on whatever it was, Broadway or whatever, playing Dracula. And then, of course, they made the movie back in, what was that, like 1931 or something like that. Oh, you mean Bella Lugosi. You're... Who did I say? Frank Langella. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I meant... Uh, yeah, uh, it was Bella it was Lugosi, a book, yeah. then the stage play was stage huge, play, yeah. and then it became a movie. It became and a movie, that's yeah. how. That's so, how Lugosi got his start, was right. in the play. So the movie, the 79 movie, is a little bit of the Lugosi... A little bit, The Empire Strikes Back. I think in the in the scoring of it, because you can definitely tell in certain flourishes that mm-hmm. that Williams had Empire on the mind. Because there's a moment uh, I'm I can't wait to point it out when we get there in the movie. There's a moment when Dracula comes into the room at the supper scene that the little musical piece right there is Boba Fett's theme. I swear to God, it's awesome. It's really really mm-hmm. cool. And then it's a little bit. Um, uh, you know, like like more of a Fright Night version of vampires and such, yeah. where it has that cool factor to it. Because Frank Langella it's, plays Dracula very cool, as, as you know, it's almost a likable character. Yeah, oh yeah, very it's, much. It's so. got some seventies to it. It's but it's still got a little bit of hammer to it. It's got places. some edge. It really has yeah. some edge because uh, the part where uh, where uh, Harker's daughter comes back and he has to confront her. That's pretty. That's pretty strong meat <laughs> in that particular scene. You beat me so. to it. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. I think that'll be a lot of fun. So that's next time around. We got anything else before we uh, wrap it up for this time? Uh, all hail Brad Bird. Absolutely. You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website, www.2TrueFreaks.com, 2 True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this. All proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite 2 True Freaks affiliated podcasts rolling, and it really helps us out. So please... Use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. <laughs> visit our website at two truefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T W O T R U E F R E A K S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at two truefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook, too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. 
You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Soul Tech.